We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with and hears their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamella. My guest today is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He grew up in Bratislava in what was then Czechoslovakia, and he led that nation to two World Cup titles in 1976 and 77 before coming back as the GM to lead Slovakia to a title of its own in 2002. He also led his hometown team to an improbable league championship. He then shocked the sporting world by coming to the NHL, along with his younger brother, in a daring escape worthy of a Cold War-era movie. All he did here was become Rookie of the Year, a six-time All-Star, and the second-leading scorer of the 80s behind a guy named Gretzky. And then he returned to his native country to represent Slovakia in the European Parliament for a decade. An amazing story. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Peter Stastny. Peter, welcome. Uh, thank you very much, Rich. It is, uh, it's, it's great to have you on the show. As, uh, as I kind of laid out in the intro, there's a lot to get to. Um, so, Peter, like I mentioned, you're, you're born in Bratislava. I think you're the fourth of five boys, and then there's a girl? That's right. Okay, and and um, your your father obviously this is communist era Czechoslovakia, you know Warsaw Pact country. Your dad is involved in like the hydroelectric dam uh, construction, um, and I, so I'm curious, like in Bratislava, you know how did you get how did you get started in hockey? Well, I'm just wondering these days, you know, with, with such a war of interest, we were so lucky, so blessed, and that was had big big reason why I develop as a, as a talented hockey player because I grew up uh, in the city, little quarter with tons of streets, big density. So wherever there was little room, you know, we tried to you know, play soccer in the summer and make a ring in the winter. Except uh, in the winter, I remember, come late November, you know, we send out the, the crews, you know, six, seven crews or four or five crews, different direction, uh, and uh, looking for a construction in the city, which there were plenty of construction, and bringing the boards. 
within few hours we have boards for one ring you know, put them on and that night we start spraying the ring too so for about one month in the evening uh, we were spraying and building it and sometime uh, around Christmas uh, we were allowed to use the skates before that we play hockey there but just with the running shoes or boots whatever but we play a lot of hockey from November and, and on the ice from November till, till April and then we continue probably through through May on the streets and on the streets we studying hockey I always remember with the school basically first of September we pull out hockey sticks and uh, you know went on the streets build like uh, you know like a couple of stones or a couple of bricks you put you build your own goal and we used to play like you know five five on five so like five guys everybody has their own their own goal and you play elimination so it was it was kind of a lot of games, a lot of fun, and there were no cars those days. Those days, you know, there was a car, you know, once an hour. We scream car, we let the street of kind of uh, let the car go, and then continue again for a long, long time. And it used to be like from the morning till the evening, especially on the weekends yeah. uh, during the school days. It was just school finish and. We were kind of looking when you have you see a couple of guys, three guys gathering. You were screaming from your balcony or from your window, "Hey, count me in!" And you were just jumping and trying to get there, even though you didn't finish your lunch. And mom was angry, like you gotta eat. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Quickly we ate, and that, 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 those were the beginning. As I said, that the density of the city and, and the good weather help us to develop a lot of kind of athletic skills including ice hockey skills by playing a lot of hockey in the winter, uh, a lot of soccer over the summer. Right. And and you, by the time you're turning kind of 18, 19 years old, you've obviously been playing hockey. You you join Slovan Bratislava, which is a team in the Czech, uh, Czechoslovakian first ice hockey league. And if I understand it correctly, obviously hockey is a, a very big deal in in what was then Czechoslovakia. But, Absolutely, but the Slovakian side had not had as much success. Like Slovan Bratislava, like it was typically teams from the more Czech side that were winning championships. Yeah. You come in, yeah. and in your fourth year, Slovan Bratislava wins the title. How special was that? That was very special. You can imagine, even now, like you got the your neighbor. You know, it's it's a lot of rivalries, and we felt very much abused when there was Czechoslovakia because. Capital was not in Bratislava, it was in Prague. So every major decision made in Prague, <laughs> and they did not favor Slovak ahead of a Czech. So let's put it this way. <laughs> At least that, that was a perception. It doesn't exist no more. And, uh, but it, it was obvious that hockey was basically Czech sport because they were a little bit more developed, and they got like a like multiple, multiple more uh, ice rings. And it's all about icing. If you have icing, yeah, we play on the, on the lakes uh, and, and, and on the, you know, like, like on, on the streets, everywhere. But if you don't have organized hockey at a certain level and, and enough ice time, you cannot really compete with the best. And that, that, that was the, the case. But we were determined to change it. Slovakia changed. We built a uh, little more ice rings, but... As I said, there was mostly the boys, uh, you know, from Bratislava at the time, where we have, I'm telling you, we have 
two ice sheets when I was growing, and one was covered, one was open. So, <laughs> and we had to share it with the biggest eater of ice time, the, 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 the figure skaters. We just hated them with a the passion because, you know, you get to the practice, you look, and there is one guy, two guys skating, and, you know, we had to wait, and they were wasting the time right. of, of our ice time. That was our view, at least. And it really was, was uh, difficult days, but, you know, somehow, somehow we got more and more ice time and, 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 and better athletes, and, and we started at Leach, and that was even more special. Nobody ever, as a junior, we have like Czechs had three leagues, we had one league, Slovak league. At the end, uh, Czechs play against, uh, against the Slovak team in the tournament. Later on, it was the best against the best, the best as a series of five for, for Czechoslovakian champion. I won three championships in a row, like a three times Memorial Cup uh, in a row, first time ever. It was, it was just unbelievable. So it was almost like a signal that something hopefully will happen on the, on the elite league level, at the adult level, at the, at the, at the elite league. And, and uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because it, it happened after I played almost, almost six years, six, six seasons, and it was very, very much appreciated. And how much appreciated? My, my first, I was 19 years old, or 18 maybe, 19, when I was first invited to the national, national team to the world championship. Came the first world championship, I won. Come the second following year, I won. So two world championship participation, I got two gold medals. Yeah. Believe me, and, and I still wasn't Czechoslovakian champion. That was to me even more important. So when we finally did in 79, it, it really was like, it just, it just euphoric and just, you know, like a floating in the clouds. Just absolute, absolute uh, joy and, 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 and uh, you know, feeling of, uh, you know, dream and, uh, and goal accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. So as you mentioned, so yeah, so Czechoslovakia, obviously you're on the national team. You win the 76 and 77 World Cups. So the World Cup teams, they'd send the best they could find, whether they were Czech or Slovak, but the Olympics yeah, yeah. sent the Czechs. No, Olympics, the same thing. They turned, But they finally, because they didn't succeed, they were leading. So they wanted to change. They, they realized the team is getting older. So they realized they, they need to rejuvenile. Uh, rejuvenate the team, and uh, and usually when you do that, you do it with the goal of maybe two three years down the road you'll be again competitive. Okay. And, and instead, you know, we came there as a, as a younger younger players, and uh, and uh, me and Marian, and plus they brought back uh, Vlado Durila. Uh, at the time, he was he was fantastic, but he was punished by communists because he he was one of those few players who kind of taped the Russian uh, communist Red Star on their jerseys in 1969. And, and, and uh, they tried to get rid of him, uh, but, but he, was, he was by every start best player, so they had no choice. They had to put in the national team. At the end, it was a player like him, like me and my brother, who made a difference because I finished one of the top scorers, even though I didn't play game and half. At the end, we won the you know, world championship that wasn't expected at all. Mm, okay. And what did he do to the jersey? I missed that. He uh, Warsaw Pact invasion of Czechoslovakia, 1968. 
Sure, the same the thing what happened to Hungary in '56. Sure. They just decided because it was so-called kind of the little little thaw, little little spring thawing. They wanted to change. It was like a, Dubček uh, was a Slovak, a highest communist uh, kind of a, a member who had most power, and he decided he wanted to have socialism with a human face. And uh, people like Brezhnev and Kosygin and people in, in the Kremlin didn't like that. So uh, eventually they sent the troops from left and right, from north, from Poland, from south, from Hungary, from Ukraine, uh, and, and from everywhere, from, from DDR, you know, German Democratic Republic at the time. And, and they, within hours, they got the, like military tanks and, 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 and military vehicles and and armies everywhere, especially right. the big cities and, and communications and media. Those were, you know, you wake up in the morning and everything was under under military control. So right. that was kind of one of a, one of a response by a few players in 19, uh, 1969 when uh, they played uh, Soviets in, in Stockholm. And, and they beat Soviets kind of twice. But they lost to Sweden and they, they finished third or somewhere. So they, they never won. But what they did in the protest, we have a, we have a Czechoslovakian crest. There was like a Czech, uh, Czech lion. Uh, and there was, a, there was a red star on his chest, on, on the lion's chest, in the, right in the middle. And the red star was a symbol of communism. And a few players, including Zurila, they just put the tape and they taped the, 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 the red communist star, which was immediately noticed by media. It was a big, big deal at the time. Uh, you know, the communists have a long memories and uh, a few players lost the job immediately. Mm. Because about four players did it, no, not too many. Yeah. And, and Zurla, Zurla was fired likewise, immediately. But as I said, then for about four years, he was being constantly best player by, by every start. So they had to you know, call him back in 76 as a backup. That was original kind of a assumption. But okay. he ended up as a, as a top goalie and, and we won the championship. Mm. And, then, and then if I read this correctly, so, so you, you're at the, at the league level, your team, Slovan Bratislava, wins in 79. And all of a sudden, because again, it's it's run more by the Czech side of things than the Slovak side of things. All of a sudden, some like very kind of questionable trades are taking place. You know, kind of seemingly weakening the team a little bit. Uh, was that your observation, or is that just something I read about? It was my observation, but that uh, unfortunately had nothing to do with the Czechs. It has a lot to do with corruption ah. at the at the club level, and they were just dealing the players quietly. But a lot of cash was changing hand under under the table. Because you know who you're dealing with. You're dealing with the people, with players, and they talk, and 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 we couldn't stand it. We stood up as a brothers uh, because we won the championship. I want to win more. You, it's like you know, you, you know how it works. It's not, not that you win and you quit. It feels so good, and, and and you see so much joy around you by fans and people being proud and, and being happy, and you just wanna you just want to have more. And, and, uh, but these people, there was also you know, a good deal because, as I mentioned, uh, within five years, my club, Slovan Bratislava junior team, my, my younger brother Anton also won three. He was younger, but we kind of uh, we won two together. 
I won one without him, and then he won a couple more. So we won five Czechoslovakian championships in six years. Mm. So that was really kind of a good, good core being built for the future. And they were kind of counting, and they were trading the play, all the players, you know, very established players, good players. Some of them, year before, play for Czechoslovakia, play for nationality, which is difficult. It just tells you that it, these people are extremely good, yet they wanted to deal them to the second division because there were some team who had the ambition to, to move up. They wanted to strengthen their team, and they were ready to pay a lot of cash. Mm. And, and, and these people uh, in my club were just sending players for nothing. Just, just, and at the end, at the end of 79-80, when I was leaving, we had like, we had like our, our wide, wider kind of a roster was like 18 players, 18 players, and, and about six of them were still at junior age. But that was, you know, it, it was mind-boggling. And, and, and you know, you don't, you don't have to be kind of a senior kind of a hockey uh, analyst or, or historian to understand that, that there is, there is uh, nothing, nothing good coming out of this situation. And uh, we saw it, all the players saw it. We all signed, every player signed the petition. And uh, at the end, uh, thank God, at the end, the result was that uh, me, and my, me and my brother left and a uh, year later, Marian joined us uh, in, in Canada. Yeah. So yeah, so I want to get to that. So this is uh, this is just absolutely fascinating. And I knew some of the facts, but like when you really dig in, it's just amazing. So there are two guys in Quebec, Marcelo Bou, who's kind of the president GM of the Quebec Nordiques, and Gilles Leger, who's kind of the head scout of of the Nordiques. And they they have it in their mind, they want to get some Eastern European players. And obviously you and your brothers stand out um, uh, among, you know, it's you guys and some of the Russians, et cetera. They want to make contact with you at the 80 Olympic games in Lake Placid, but they can't, they never get in contact with you. <clears throat> You're then at a tournament in Austria. That, that was a tournament with my club, Slovan Bratislava. It was like a team, uh, European champions league. That was ah. like a final tournament, the top four play a tournament for mothers. So there was a club because we won here before Czechoslovakian championship. We played that competition. It's very rare, but very, very uh, important, very prestigious because it's only, only uh, country champions can participate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're, so you're in Austria in this champions league tournament and uh, with Slovan Bratislava. And at one point you slide out and go to, I think a post office and make a call to Quebec to get in touch with Marcelo Boot and Gilles Leisure. And that kind of gets things rolling. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about like what it took to make that call, because that's, <laughs> that's a level of courage that a lot of people don't have. No, it was truth is I had no idea. I knew there was so much interest left and right from Canada cup 76. And generally, we are being followed, watched, and there was interest to get us back overseas, especially after Nedomansky and Farda. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, one other player left uh, in 74, just like Martina Navratilova. Uh, so they, it was obvious interest. I had no idea. I knew Anton was drafted by Quebec, and, uh, and uh, I play in Quebec. 
So we said, okay, uh, let's uh, let's try. If we, once we decided uh, we're going to try to leave, and it was never sure. It was sure only after everything was uh, concluded. But the uh, uh, thing was, we, we decided in Innsbruck, uh, going to Innsbruck, the, from there we will try to contact some NHL teams. I had my NHL yearbook where I get addresses and telephone numbers of all the clubs. And, and you know, we decided to call Quebec Nordiques. I had no idea who Marcelo B is or who Chill Leisure. I never talked to them. I never knew about them. I have no idea. I just happened to call Quebec because I like Quebec from 76 uh, Canada Cup. Mm-hmm. And I knew mm-hmm. Quebec drafted Anton, so I thought we give them first chance and there'll be less complications. And I knew they were a terrible team uh, because they finished 20th out of 21, didn't make a playoff. And, and one of my goal was to, and, and you know, I knew enough about business, so I, I wanted to get a chance. You get a chance, you can prove what you can do. Sure. You go to the winning team, and sometimes you know they send you to the farm or somewhere, and uh, that wasn't something I, I wanted. And so we, 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 when we get to the to Innsbruck, <laughs> we went to change a lot, a lot of coins. You, they got like a, the big coins because when you make international calls. It was eating like a like a very hungry hypo, like hip, you know, like a. It was just swallowing these bitcoins <laughs> every every few seconds, asking more. So you know, you know, those days, those are very expensive. Long distance calls were very, very expensive, and if you called uh, from the public booth, it was even more expensive. So uh, this is how we how we dialed Quebec, and uh, I wanted to talk to general manager. He wasn't there. So other on the list, I was looking. I, I saw Marcelo B like a name, but I didn't want to talk the president because usually they are the administrators and they know they don't know much about game about players. So the other name I found Jules Leger because he was like a player development. Mm-hmm. So okay, this guy mm-hmm. should know something. So I asked uh, player development Jules Leger if uh, Maurice Fillion is not there, and so he just, that was just his luck. He picked up the phone. And he probably referred immediately what happened to Marcel. And I was just shocked how quickly they reacted. And they just, within few hours, within few hours, they were in Innsbruck. And it's yeah. not easy to get from Quebec to Innsbruck. You need to get to Montreal, then Montreal to some major European airport. And from there, either fly to Innsbruck or drive to Innsbruck. And that's what they did. They flew somehow to Zurich overnight. And very early morning to you know grab the car and, and drove from Zurich to Innsbruck, and and by the time I wake up I got a phone call. I thought that was a wake up call. No, that was my phone was ringing, and when I pick up, these were these guys from Quebec. I said, "What are you doing, guys? What do you what do you want?" Okay, we here. I said, "We're here." I, I I couldn't believe they were calling me. They were in different hotel, not far from my our hotel, and. So that was the contact established, and we were ready to start negotiation. And if yeah. it wouldn't go, if we didn't agree, or if we didn't kind of uh, conclude a uh, mutually acceptable agreement, then we would dial somebody else, or we would go home. But uh, it was uh, it was it was kind of impossible not to conclude it because they were so determined that I could have asked for for heaven, I would probably got it. <laughs> yeah. So so it, it's amazing. So. They fly in from Quebec, like on the spot. They get to yeah. Austria. You guys work out a deal. Um, you know, there's some back and forth. You work out a deal. They want you to leave right then and there. 
and you guys, you and your brother Anton say, well, we still want to play one more game. So you play the one more game against a, a Russian team. And uh, then afterwards, you're like having beers in the locker room with your teammates. And then there's it's and it's and in the meantime, your eight months pregnant wife is walking yours and Anton's bags past the team bus to a waiting car that's going to whisk you away to Vienna, where you're going to meet up with these guys again. And you kind of say your goodbyes, them not knowing that you're leaving. And you walk right past the bus, get in this waiting car, and you're gone. And the next thing you know, you get to Vienna. And there are Czech authorities following you guys. And in fact, one of the Quebec, uh, I can't remember if it was Leisure or Obu, says that they get the embassy involved. And at one point, somebody at the embassy says, do you guys have a gun? And they say, no, we don't have a gun. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to have a police escort you. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's like a police escort to whisk you guys out of the hotel and get to the airport. And ultimately, obviously, you make it to Quebec. I mean, how crazy was that? The Vienna and generally Austria, but Vienna in particular, was just capital of spies. It was right on the border of, uh, you know, Cold War. Uh, Cold War, where on one side were a communist uh, side in Czechoslovakia and then Hungary, and it was just steps from the Vienna. And and on the on the other side was the West. Vienna was the capital that was nearest, uh, right on the borders. And and uh, and they were just spying on each other. It was it was packed, and uh, and there were true dangers even to us. Like we could have been kidnapped, and they knew that from the very beginning. So once we called in the morning from Vienna, no, we didn't call. They knew we, we where we were because they reserved hotel for us. But we slept like uh, you know thirty minutes you know after driving whole night, and I was I was dead when they called. I said, be careful, don't open to anybody. They came with the commanders. These are like a special command, like SWAT teams. They were there. They had these uh, these masks across the faces. They were all black, and you know, like machine guns, but not the big one, like a scorpion, this small one. But they can shoot like 50 rounds of shots, whatever, you know, with with one with one uh, pull of the trigger. And uh, they were everywhere, and they were cleaning up the lobby when you know we came down by the elevator. We had to stay in the elevator. They cleaned the lobby. When the lobby was clean, we walked through the lobby. Then they stopped the walkway. Like there was a walkway. There was like hundreds of people walking. It was a busy, bustling day in, in the Vienna, in, in the downtown. And, and we had these commandos kind of clearing the way for us. And they took us to the embassy. In the embassy, they asked anybody speak Slovak or Czech. A few people did. <laughs> they escorted them out. Everybody had to go out and we... They, they they took us to the, to the ambassador office and and then from there we went to the airport and there was always the, the police and the commando in front of us uh, behind us uh, everywhere they didn't want to stop it was it was dangerous so we were driving and there was a traffic everywhere stop signs and not stop signs but the traffic you know standstill or bumper to bumper. They just moved to the walkways, to, to the park, to the, the grass. They were driving everywhere. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. Then we got to the airport in, in a hurry. So it was, it was very, very, very impressive. We, we called a close, few close teammates, like um, eight or ten, you know, close ones. And we told sure. them what's happening. And it was very, very, very uh, kind of emotional. Uh, you, know, you see the big guys crying and, and tearing. 
because everybody realized this is over. Like we had something wonderful going for us in Bratislava. Uh, we were good friends. We were the family. All of a sudden, you're losing part of the family. It was yeah. emotional for us, but I wouldn't leave without saying goodbye to my closest one. And uh, the same thing, Anton. So we were in one room, and we had a few guys called up. You know, while we were parking and bringing the stuff to the bus, maybe my wife, instead of to the bus, she, she went the other exit because the car was uh, across the street. A bus was in the backyard. Yeah. So you know, there was like big hotel. It got four exits, different direction, different exit. So you just use the different exit. And as I said, she could do that while we were saying goodbye. And we had those emotional moments with a few of our teammates. Yeah. And so, so then, so then you end up in in Quebec, and you're playing for the Nordiques. And the team, like you said, has been bad. But you get there, and that first year, you guys get off to a tough start. But then you end up being about a 500 team that year. So a huge improvement over the prior year. Um, you're the rookie of the year. You get 109 points. So you obviously figure out the game fairly quickly. What's it like coming in? Because at that point, you know, you mentioned a few minutes ago, a couple of East, there was like, you know, one or two Eastern European guys. But for the most part, you're like the first, you're you're one of the first like stars that's, you know, kind of come over. What's it like? Is there, you know, what's it like in the locker room, the team's reception of you? And also, what are you hearing from opponents? Like, you know, when you're digging for a puck in the corner? Rich, Rich, everything was different. Everything. And I thought I knew, but it's one thing because I play against the top, you know, before 76, nobody ever played against professionals. It was, it was like taboo. They were like, it was like a railroad. You got two lines and they never supposed to meet. There was amateur hockey and pro hockey. They were not allowed at the Olympics. They were not allowed at world championship. They never played for their country. It was two different hockey worlds. And we sure. started to meet. So from 76, when they sent the first team, uh, because Canada boycotted for a few years, they sent the first team to, to, to Vienna from 77. 76 actually uh, was, was first time allowed. It was Lou Nanny from uh, Minnesota. He was later general manager. He, he came as the first pro to participate in the world championship. But 77, they sent the big team. There was a you know, Carl the Phil Esposito was there. It was like there were some, some top-notch players. Uh, and uh, and pl- plus playing Canada Cup, players, playing a lot of games against the best players. I thought I knew something. It's one thing to play a couple games, and it's one thing to join the league. Everything was different. In my league, we, could, we knew we had four or five teams that were tough and strong, but other, other five, six teams, you just knew you were going to win. You just didn't know by how many. Sure. In this league, no. You, you, you don't win. If anything, it's easier to lose against the worst team because you, you, you underestimate them or you're being a little complacent and you, you pay the price. And the same thing was the was the level intensity was you know tremendous like uh, throughout sixty minutes every game adds to the add to it like like a lot of traveling a lot of distances and time zones so one of those things happened I, I remember a couple of things one was that around the Christmas time I was dead just dead and we yeah. had this you know I didn't want to say much because you know this is new culture. I'm not going to teach them how to play hockey or what to do, especially the coaching. But coaches, we practice hard. We practice, practice. It's totally different these days. These days, kind of science, and they understood. 
So you, if you work hard, you cannot work hard all the time because you, you're going to go on 70%, not 100%. You right. need to be 100% at the day game. And that, that should be kind of a goal. And those days we were just circling, circling, and sprinting blue to blue. And just, man, I played 20, 21 minutes sometimes, and, and, and I had to practice the same way than, than our, our, our tough guy who played like one or two shifts. And I remember was exactly December, early January, the guy who skated in September, he was terrible. He was our best skater, Wally Weir. He was like, he was a tough guy. I love the guy. And, and, but, but he played like one or two shifts. So you know, it, he, he, was, he was never tired. Practices were okay. But when you play hard and then you practice hard, eventually it will catch up with you. And uh, that's what happened. So they were asking me, general manager, I said, what's happening? I said, like, we practicing like horses. Like, it just, everybody is tired. Can't you see that? Wally Wheel is the best skater. So you got to get some day off. You know what? We got next day, day off. And then we got another day off. And all of a sudden, we went like 11 games because we were way out of playoff. We went to the 11 game winning streak or, or without losing. Like, we won most of the games and never lost 11, 12 games in a row. And we just got ourselves close or, or, you know, close to the playoff. And then after the All Star game, you know, we, we kind of. Uh, confirmed our, our playoff position and, and we went from there on. It was it was awesome. But all these hard practices, all these distances and time zones, I remember after the All Star game or just before All Star game or something like around the All Star game. We played we played in Vancouver and, and, and me and Anton and, and our teammates we scored like three hat tricks I think. We we got hat tricks two of us and, and plus another three point six point each which was like awesome thing. The next day we travel all day. There were no charter like these days, no spoiling. It was like a hard work. It was like you travel all day from Vancouver to Washington, D.C., across the continent. You know, the, the long travel, it's very tiring, time zones. And the following day we play, we play Washington Capitals. <laughs> we won something like 11-8. Uh, we scored eight points each. Again, both of us had tricks and... Uh, and plus, but so you got two games across the continent, but maybe that's why we play such a good game because we have zero expectations. We were just like, guess you know, what will happen. Like this is like we never done it in our life, playing tough games and, and across the continent and, and, and waiting what the body will do, how body will respond. And we do have, when you have zero expectation, usually good things happen. Yeah, it's funny. And those two games you just mentioned, Nine times in NHL history, a rookie has gotten six points or more in a game. Four of those nine were those two games you just mentioned. You and Anton in Vancouver <laughs> and you and Anton in Washington. I mean, it's incredible. Like half of, of all those things happened in that hey, like, span. <laughs> Rich, I recently checked. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we still, there is nobody scored eight, eight points or more on the road. So we hold a single record. Not even Gretzky, not even anybody. No, they mean nobody. We got like eight points. It's me and my brother Anton. Same game, same. We were, it was same week. We were, first time we, they announced the player of the week. First time they announced two because they couldn't probably separate like who is better. So they, I was so proud, so happy. And we got such a huge kind of welcome in the extending ovation for minutes when we, when we played first game after that trip. Uh, in Quebec, so it was it was very memorable.
That's that's cool. And actually, you know, that, that raises a question. Going back to when you were a kid, were who like who were your hockey idols? Were you able to was it was it local guys or were you somehow able to follow NHL? Like who were the guys you looked up to when you were, you know, 10 or 12? Rich, we were lucky now, as I said, I already mentioned that 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 that, that uh, political spring we have uh, and, and, and that ended up with the Russian occupation, 68. That was my days when I was a kid, like 11, 12, 13 or whatever. This is where you start following, watching and playing. You're more intense. You you kind of uh, soaking all this information and, and, and we play hockey on the street every day and every day you want to be somebody, somebody, you know, like uh, the best. Yeah. So, you know, pick, we pick the guys, you know, from, from the top, from Czechoslovakia or, or NHL was the best. So you had to be either our player or NHL. So everybody at the time wanted to be Stan Nikita, you know, Stan Nikita. Can you believe I was so proud of him? I was so proud that I later, you know, befriended him and I could call him my friend because he was a Slovak. He was a total inspiration, an absolute idol to me at the youth. And, and generally, he was a he was a Wayne Gretzky. That's how they introduced him at the, at the All Sports Hall of Fame of Valdova story. I used to go of the sixties. Sure. was before the Gretzky. There was Stan Mikita. He was dominating the sixties. He got like a five art trophy for the M and a, like a, a heart trophy, art trophy, and all kind of like it was like collecting like nothing. So I was so proud knowing that he was born in Slovakia. It, it's in, immense, immense motivation and kind of example to follow. And it, it just, it's a huge advantage for us having, knowing that, you know, person like this was born and, 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 and in Slovakia, the Slovak are capable of doing the thing that the, the whole world can kind of, you can compete against anybody. Yeah. So he was, he was one of mine, the Nedomansky, I we just met a few weeks ago in Notre Dame. We were having some kind of symposium about you know, totalitarian regime and elite athletes. And, and, and I am sitting on one of the advisory board. So I, I made sure I, I got Nedomansky there. My brother was there and, and Kristic uh, from Ukraine. Like I consider him as the best Ukrainian player. Mm-hmm. So at the time I wasn't, I, I wasn't really like particular. I knew I need to be myself, but I got kind of three idols. You always follow your older brother, so it was Marian, yep. and 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 his success. You wanna follow in his footsteps, and uh, and then I have Nedomansky. He was playing for my home team, and he was the Wayne Gretzky of the international hockey. Sure. Big, athletic, dominant. It was just unbelievable. Another blessing for me to have such a player. You know, in, in, in my home club and, and as an as a, as a example to watch and follow. And as I said, the third one, but not in hierarchy, was Stan Nikita. So Nikita Lermanski and Marian were my, my kind of example and idols. And uh, there, was, there, was, there was plenty, and they were, they were done good, all of them. Yeah. And, then, and so then you're on this Quebec team, and you guys are getting better every year. You know, you're kind of 500 a couple of years. Then all of a sudden you start to, you know, you start to really step it up and you've got like an offensive juggernaut. Obviously it's you and Anton, your brother Marion joins one year later. Like you mentioned, you've got Michelle Goulet. He's got a guy like, guy like Dale Hunter, who he's going to get you his 200 to 250 penalty minutes every year, but he also gets you 75 points every year. Um, and then, and then, you know, guys like uh, Jacques Richard scores 50 goals. 
what, what was it like, you know, kind of stepping into that team? Um, obviously, but when, when Marion got over, you guys were a line. Um, but, um, but, you know, who, who else over the years, who else did they kind of mix in with you on your particular line? Well, we had a coach, Michel Bergeron, and, uh, you know, he wasn't there. He was like a, he was like assistant coach, but after about three games or four games, uh, the head coach, who was the GM at the time, Maurice Fillion, stepped out, stepped out from the coaching position, and he retained his GM only, and Michel Bergeron was named as a head coach immediately, and that guy, he, he was like... I don't know. It was it was the NHL classic. Like in, in Europe, we play the lines. You know, yeah, you sometimes need to you know shake up the, the the lines and the team, but you do it for a few shifts, maybe for a game, but not like a, you know changing the lines all the time. And he was one of those coaches. He changed all the time. So luckily, most of the time I play with my brother. But uh, I remember my first year we play a lot with Jamie Hislop. Uh, but like you said, those were the, the great team. I, that's, that was one of the reasons. When I saw the team, I said, we got to do better than this. You know, they were like, Robbie Torek was there, Mark, uh, Mark Tardif, uh, Buddy Cloutier. Then I didn't know much about Michel Goulet. He was too young, but those guys were coming. Jacques Richard, he scored 15 somewhere in Buffalo, and he scored 50 with us. He was just... Uh, just that was we had like six or seven 30 goal scorers these days you some team had none you know some team got one or two and they they, they feel lucky right. and uh, we, 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 we in, in the 80s there was no better entertainment entertaining team than than Edmonton Oilers and Quebec Nordiques right it was offense it was a lot of creativity and a lot of fun a lot of action a lot of scoring chances and that's what people want to see and uh at the end, also a lot, a lot, a lot of goals, and uh, so I really enjoyed playing with, with uh, uh, always with my brothers. But as I said, we used to, you know, first before him, and even when he was there, we used to play quite often with uh, uh, either. It was Jacques Richard played often with us, especially when we scored those, uh, those, uh, the Vancouver and Washington, those six and eight points, sure. and uh, and. Uh, Often uh, Jamie Hislop played with us, and, and uh, later on, just about everybody. He was he was moving. Even I played on the wing with with uh, Del Hunter and Michel Goulet. You know, like uh, you know, I I didn't mind. I could play anywhere. If you want to play hockey, if you're a good hockey player, you can fit in any position. Maybe maybe except goaltending. Right, and and um, two things pop into my mind. First of all. Your second year is when Marion comes over. You guys had to—I read—you had to pull together like thirty thousand dollars to get him over. Is that—is that accurate? Is that how that he came over? It was, yeah. Like, like uh, it wasn't the club only, but the, the corruption was across whole communist communist state. The, the communists are just pretenders. You know, they are the the crooked, uh, spineless people, and uh, and all they care is about themselves. So you know, they easily to corrupt. And I, I guess the team knew. So I knew there was the sum, like you said, uh, about that, about $30,000, which was like, it was huge. People make like maybe $1,000 a year. So you send $30,000 there, uh, you can buy a lot if you're careful. You know, you have to be very careful because you can end up in jail yeah. or, 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 or you can end up maybe facilitating your, your, your departure and, and hopefully, and luckily, you know, Marianne was able to, 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 
use it use it uh, properly and because he was under terrible terrible condition he was being watched daily sure people who who met him were were immediately caught for interrogation by KGB and and they were they were so frightened they never ever wanted to meet my brother again so you can imagine you, little by little you end up totally isolated sure so, so you know, under this condition, it's not that easy, even if you have money or you know, just to do uh, the right thing and to to achieve the the, uh, the the successful end. But as I said, luckily at the end, uh, including some some of the payment to right people at the right time, uh, help him to, to 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 leave. But I need to add, there were a couple moments in my life that I felt that piano felt on my shoulder, or big, big 800-pound gorilla. And one moment was when I was in Las Vegas after the season, and I got a phone call that Marian and all his family are in Vienna. To me, it was 100% sure they safe, and they are on, on their way to, you know, to Quebec. So... Uh, Must have been amazing. It was it, it was really really uh, really special and and one other moment was when I lost my brother in Innsbruck. There was everything had connected because I didn't know if he was kidnapped for about one hour around midnight. And you know midnight you got anything goes through your mind and and, and you know knowing the situation, knowing the country where we are, uh, I didn't know what happened to him and it was just fluke kind of misunderstanding, miscommunication, but luckily. When you know, it was almost one thirty after midnight, uh, over an hour we were looking for him. Uh, we couldn't find him, and when I decided and I gave the order to, hey, let's go to Vienna, let's alert everybody who we can alert because we can be more helpful in Vienna than looking for him in Innsbruck. Then we we just taking off from the Innsbruck, heading to the highway, and leaving the downtown. And all of a sudden, sudden you see somebody walking, one thirty a.m. walking. And you, you recognize body language, silhouette. I said, that's Anton. But I, Rich, I wasn't sure, is it, is it Mirage or is it real? Right. So uh, you know, the driver immediately slowed down. I told him, slow down, slow down. And then we were coming closer, closer. I opened the door. It wasn't Mirage. It was him. What a relief. What a relief. So there was two, two reliefs I will never forget. I'll be grateful for the rest of my life. And Marianne was in Vienna. And I was with my wife, and end of a season, kind of a uh, NHL had some kind of award or some kind of thing in, in Las Vegas. And, and one was uh, in Innsbruck when after an hour plus, uh, I, I rediscovered my brother. Yeah, it's amazing. That's amazing. And, and something, something amazing happens in your fourth year. You become, and it's, it's kind of hard to track this information down, but I think I got this right. In in the 83-84 season, Mario Marois is traded. He's the captain. And you become the captain. And as far as I can tell, you're only the second uh, European captain ever. Um, uh, this is your sixth year, actually. In, in your sixth year, Mario Marois is traded. And you become only the second European to be a captain behind Lars Eric Sjöberg of the Jets. What what did that mean to you? Well, uh... I don't know. It's always honor and responsibility, but not much. It's it's something that uh, I, I wasn't worried. I wasn't the kind of a guy yelling and screaming. We got different guys for that. I always believe personally. I really believe in personal example. That's why I follow people like Nedomansky or like Stan Nikita 
and uh, and I read his book. I played to win. You know, Stan Mikita in the '60s. You know, I read it. I don't know inside out uh, two three times. And I, I don't recall him being you know too vocal or something. But uh, in hockey, you know who you want to follow. And, and believe me, personal example is by far the best. So I had no worries that I can just do what I did and, 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 and do my job. And also being kind of a you know, uh, intermediary between the players and the management, that was, that was also easy for me. I, I, can, I can speak my mind and, uh, you know, whenever it's needed. But to me, uh, a good captain is the one that you, you like to follow, you like to kind of uh, you know, emulate uh, and, and, and you know, when, when, when he plays and when he gives everything, it just you want to do the same thing, and I don't remember me giving like ninety or ninety-five percent, especially in the games. I would always give everything I had, and it was the same thing. Like they said, uh, you know, like you you have a language barrier. To, you know, my my first you know few weeks, few months, and I never had a problem because I said there is only one language, uh, hockey. In hockey game, there is only one language. If you need to speak and yell and and, and explain on the ice. It's too late. You right. you gotta act instinctively, spontaneously, and and just a common sense. Because every situation requires different solution, and good players there is no need for communication. So that was a very very similar thing, and and it worked out because I think we were <laughs> that was the that was the year you know, we were. Uh, that was one of the most memorable kind of because they asking you I got so many memorable moments, but it was one of the most memorable moments when, when it's it's like winning the Czechoslovakian championship and they're showing the Czechs, hey, we are better. Uh, so it was the same thing like we had like a there was no bigger rivalry in hockey. What I recall and remember, I've been around for a while than Quebec and Canadians, you know, Nordiques and Canadians and. Uh, <laughs> It was like younger brother who wanted to show older brother, and we, you know, those were like these were very very tough games to play. So every time you finish ahead of them, there was like people in Quebec they love you to death. <laughs> and that one season, I, I managed to get. Can you imagine? Not only the winning goal, but the winning goal in overtime in the game seven in Montreal. Like you cannot, you know, only thing better would be the same thing and add, uh, you know, like a seven game of, a, of, of the, you know, 34, like a Stanley Cup finals. But it wasn't finals. It was, uh, was it like first round, second round of a playoff? But it was, it felt like winning the Stanley Cup, believe me. I never, yeah. never seen the reaction. It was like three, four o'clock in the morning and airport was parked outside of the airport parking parked by thousands and thousands of people like a, that was almost insane yeah I, I i watched the clip of it, it it's such a great play because it's a face-off in their zone and the you know puck kind of gets bounced around a little bit and there's a shot and the rebound comes out and it's just got to be one of those great moments where all of a sudden you've got the puck on your stick and you look up and it's just net and you just house it and the look on your face when like you spin around to your teammates is phenomenal. Like just that feeling, like you said, it's game seven, it's overtime, it's Montreal. And believe me, that was like, like you said it, like I used to be very calm, very kind of uh, uh, calm, cool, and, and kind of non, non-emotional. That was kind of European. Russia, you could see that they were almost pissed when they scored a goal. You know, like <laughs> a, same thing was an Edomansky. It's like, it's normal. 
No, this time around, I really show my joy. I was, you know, jumping, kicking, and you know, I remember going to the left corner there somewhere, and uh, it really meant, you know, when you play six years in those series and, you know, facing Montreal four times, eight times, one time we faced them uh, 15 times. Mm-hmm. There was like uh, eight times more, 18 times, eight times in the season, Three preseason, Quebec, Trois-Rivières, which is in the middle, and, and Montreal, and we play seven uh, playoff games. So add it up. That's 18 games against the team. That was just, uh, you always battling for your life almost. Like uh, you want to win for whatever it takes. <laughs> and and uh, you play them so often, six years, so many battles, and then you end up with, with such a luck. Uh, it, it, that's what makes it really memorable, that, that, that the rivalry, and everything surrounded by by those rivalries between uh, Quebec Nordiques and Montreal Canadiens. Yeah, and and then it's amazing in your I think it's your last year in Quebec. Um, speaking of Montreal, Guy Lafleur joins the team not not for a, like for you know kind of like half the season. He had retired, then come back and had a pretty productive year with the Rangers, and then he ends up in Quebec. Um, what, what's it like playing with Guy Lafleur all of a sudden? Oh, I love playing with Guy. I love playing. That, that's that's exactly to the point I mentioned a few minutes ago, that there is only one language in hockey uh, on on the ice when you play the games. Sure. And that's the language of hockey. And and good players, talented players, gifted players, they know what to do. And believe me, we were like that was one of my best starts we had. Like I remember after 30, 31 games, 32 games, I had 60 points. I was two points a game. That was unbelievable. And I played with Guy and Michel Goulet, which we were like, I call it was 103 years old, by far the oldest line those days in, 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 in the hockey, in the NHL. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. You just, you just compliment each other. You just know where to go, where to put the puck. You know, you try to attract the players, put it into open. You knew either Gu or, or Guy would be there, and and then you know, and we creating tons of scoring chances. But as I said, it was one of my best start. It wasn't a start like one week or two weeks. It was you know a couple of months or more. As I said, thirty games. That's like more more than almost three months. Sure. Yet we were way out of playoffs. So it was very 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 sad, very frustrating. Yeah. But playing with Guy was was awesome. Just. Uh, we really kind of uh, complement each other, and even kind of hit it like like he was very friendly, very nice, and uh, uh, we had you know good friendship. And even after our career, when we play, sometimes you know play like alumni hockey, or or we used to meet at the All Star Game on Hockey Hall of Fame. You know we always you know pull aside and and had 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 a, uh, you know chats and discussions and and and, and, and you know sharing the memories from the past and, and, and opinions about the hockey and the families. And it was very, very sad, uh, like this year when these two giants, the same thing, Mike Bossy, I played with him and, and what he did to hockey. And, and, and uh, you know, in the 80s, uh, you know, early 80s, first four years, well, Ireland, there was kind of a dominant kind of dynasty. And uh, together with Potman and Brian Trotty and Clarky Gillis, it was it was really special, and to lose the friends and icons in in such a young age was just was very hard to take. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a very tough year. Yeah, 
And and towards the end of your time in Quebec, uh, a young guy comes along, Joe Sakic, who you, I think, you know, from what I understood, you mentored him a little bit in his last couple of years where he's, you know, pretty productive right out of the gate. He scores like 60 plus points as a rookie. And then, you know, what goes around comes around. You've got two sons who make it in the NHL. And one of them, Paul, is ultimately kind of mentored by Sakic on the back end uh, of Sakic's career. How, how crazy is that? That was awesome. That's one of the nicest kind of stories I can tell you, like, because I requested Joe on my power play. And then he requested Paul maybe 20, 25 years later on his power play. That was kind of a nice. And, and, and everything worked at a time on both times. And uh, you know what's a funny thing? You know, we had good relationship. You know, again, it goes to what I told you. When you have talented, gifted players who, who has high uh, hockey IQ, it's so easy to communicate. You don't need to know the language or, I don't know, have some kind of experiences. No, it just works. And it worked me and Joe when he came his first year. It worked with Joe and my son because he's, he's like watching myself. He's got the same hockey. Yanni is a little different, but Paul was, was exactly like watching myself. He's got mm-hmm. great IQ and, and great kind of uh, oversight and judgment and awareness on the ice. And uh, I have to tell you one story because that's the same thing. I love Joe, and I remember his agent, uh, he passed away. He was thanking me. I was GM, and he was coming as an agent, watching a world championship, a junior world championship. I spent a lot of time in these venues in Helsinki, Stockholm, Moscow, Prague, and, and, and different cities like Basel or Zurich. And uh, or, or here in Canada, so met him often, and every time almost he never, never went by me. He said, Peter, again, I have to thank you for what you did for Joe. You know, like you, you got him, you convinced him to go to the world championship. Because I remember first year, you know, management come to me says, Joe got the invitation, he doesn't want to go. Would you talk to him? I said, sure. I'm a strong, strong believer for young players. It, it has to be a must because you can learn so much when you go to the world championship. Sure. So I talked to him, talked to him, convinced him. That's at least what I thought I convinced him, just like my son. Nobody wants to go there. Season is over. You're tired. You want to go home. You're going to go somewhere to Caribbean or somewhere, <laughs> not play another game you know, for country and, and for free. Uh, so I thought I convinced him. And then on Paul's wedding, Joe was invited and he was there and I, I really appreciate it. I said, Joe, if I would be me, I, I, I'm not sure if I would come you know, because Paul just left. He played for St. Louis Blues and, and Joe says, I wouldn't miss it for a world, Peter. Are you kidding me? So then I was, I was telling him about his agent, how he was thanking me and Joe was telling me, Peter, I have to tell you, I have to be honest with you. I have to tell you, you did not convince me. Uh, I was afraid to tell you no. <laughs> I said, doesn't matter as long as it's a the good cause and, and good ending. I don't care how how you get to the decision as long as you come to the right decision. But it was so funny. He was he was kind of intimidating. He was afraid to say no to me. He said no to the management, but he wouldn't say no to me. And he went there. And from then on, I'm really really proud because that was the beginning, and his agent knew it to his wonderful, wonderful career with the national team. I'm not talking, I mean, I mean, Team Canada, where he went to, you know, win the World Championship, win the Olympics, was a captain, and, and it was awesome, started right there, 
and, and it just proves that it was it was heck of a decision he made, and and I was just proud that I was a part of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and and you you know, true to your word, also in addition to obviously you know kind of playing for for country, you know, at numerous points in your career, you then go back and you're the general manager of Slovakia. Obviously, you know, the wall comes down and, and you know, kind of things happen and, and Czech Republic and Slovakia split. And you go back and you take over general management position in Slovakia and you guys go out and win uh, the World Cup. Tell me about that experience, you know, kind of building a team and, and leading them to victory. Priceless. One of the biggest achievements of my career uh, was uh, right there because I was such a such a strong patriot and I, I love my country. That's why I told you there was a one reason I loved Ten Nikita because he was always correcting journalists that he's not a Czech, he's a Slovak. And, sure. and we Slovak, we love it. Slovak across the world, especially in diaspora. You know, you know, people outside Slovakia and uh, because in, inside Slovakia they couldn't get to it. They, they were censored. Yeah. And, uh, and and being Slovak and hoping and, and people for generations, generations, hundreds and hundreds of years were dreaming and hoping to one day have a, their own nation where they will determine their own future in Bratislava, not in Vienna, not in Budapest, not in Prague, not in Moscow, in Bratislava. And for that, it takes sovereign nation, a sovereign country with a self-determination and democracy and that actually happened uh, when we finally, when we split uh, from Czechs uh, 1992, basically was agreement, and from 1st January 93. And, and basically uh, early January 94, we were heading to the first Olympics. Uh, I was as a player, I was a flag bearer, very, very strong and emotional moment. Mm-hmm. You know, being there for my country, that, uh, you know, you, you try to represent, and, and that was my inspiration and motivation to do better, to kind of bring the joy and bring the example and, 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 uh, and you know, to, to, you know, fellows, my fellow Slovaks and mostly youth, because I know what Stan Nikita meant to me. And I wanted to be at least a little bit like Stan Nikita, because you need examples and you need to prove to the, to the millions of the others that we can do as well as anybody else, because it wasn't the case because other, other countries around us dominating us, they were, they were telling Slovaks, no, you cannot, you're not capable, and uh, you kind of uh, always um, little less than, than, than everybody else. And uh, so it, it really was very special when I finished my career, like you said. Not only we came, you know, I brought the team together, and again, nobody wanted to go. Nobody. When I, when I called the f- first few times, no, no, I say, hey, I don't take no as an answer. When I called to Miro Shatan or, or, or Michael Hanzus and, and Pavel Demitra, and, and I knew them all. I knew general manager. I did my homework. At the end of the day, we, we created a culture where people were asking, hey, I'm available. Why didn't you call me yet? I said, don't worry. I would have called you. We had like, we had a guy like Ziggy uh, Palfi. He was calling. I said, why didn't you call me? I said, don't worry, Ziggy. You're on my, you're on my list. There is still time. And then, uh, you know, with that culture, you know, finally in 2002, we managed to win the world championship. But Rich, what was even biggest for me, that world championship was at the Olympics, but these KGB people kind of uh, running the federation, and they actually fired me. They, they kicked me out. They didn't fire me, but I let my contract expire and just got rid of me. Sure. And, uh, and, and Slovakia just collapsed. 
from then again it's eight, nine, ten, eleven plays. It it really hurts me deeply, deeply because to me one of the biggest success the world championship was four years ranking. We entered the Olympics in Torino. Uh, we entered the Olympics as a third highest ranked team uh, in the world. So we were number three in the world for a small country like Slovakia. That, that's like, that's like, as I said, to me, it's more because this is like four years ranking. It's not like accidental championship you win and you improve your position. You need to, and we were like, we were like third, second, third, fourth, you know, roughly in those four years. And, and that's what put us in the, in the number three position. And, uh, that, that's, uh, what I want to keep as my legacy, you know, and hopefully Slovakia one day will get close, even though I think they can win the world championship, but I don't think they'll be able to be number three ranked in the world in the, in the four years ranking. And, uh, that's that's I consider as a blessing as a, one of the you know greatest success uh, of my whatever management career career. Yeah, quite quite the legacy. And then, and then and then speaking of you know kind of pride in place and you know your 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 Slovakian pride coming through, you then run for European Parliament um, as a member of the SDKU party, kind of a center right party, and you represent Slovakia in Parliament for. 10 years from 2004 to 2014. Um, what was that experience like? Same, it's just, it just philosophical and, and value continuity. You just do, and I, I when, when the prime minister asked me to represent his party, my, my first, it was like happy plan, no. Just very clear, very relevant, no. <laughs> and uh, then he, you know, he, then I told him, you know what, he was begging, begging. So I said, okay, okay, give me three weeks because I need to talk to my family. This is a very important decision. And more and more I was thinking, and he sent me the big, big, huge patriotic letter. I got it somewhere. He was kind of asking me again. But I was thinking, so that's exactly what I did all my life. I tried to represent my country. And who knows better, better about democracy, about what, what the Slovakia I want to have, what Europe I want to have because I think in many aspects, Canada and the U.S. are ahead of Europe in many aspects. But generally, they are leading democratic and even economic, economically prosperous kind of countries in the world or continents. And, uh, and I said, hey, I can bring something for Slovakia. I can bring a lot to, to Europe uh, and, and, and being at the table. Plus, when you're dealing in international kind of institution like European Parliament, you need to be fluent in languages, which I was. And, and I love politics. I love business, politics, and hockey. These are my three kind of a pillar of, of, of interest all my life. So I, I knew what I was talking. I knew what I wanted to accomplish. And, and I was at a beautiful kind of a moment of my life. Paul just left. He was my youngest child. And he left, and he went play junior hockey to Omaha, which basically you got empty household, empty nest. Sure. So you, you know, my responsibility is taking care of my of my kids and being with them uh, during those important years ended. And I said that was a, everything kind of indicated like an offer came at the right time. So I decided yes. And as I said, that, that was also very very special and and, uh, and very successful kind of a part of my life, part of a Slovakia life, and uh, and uh, and especially early on. 
I was still, you know, doing both, general manager for national team 2004, 2006. And uh, we, we also won. I was, it was, it was shocking. We won the, that, that election. I was, I was the winner of the, of the European, first European election to European Parliament in, in uh, I think it was May 2004. And so there was a lot of euphoria, a lot of happiness, and, and, and rightfully so, because we were leaving behind us like hundreds and hundreds of years of you know, being oppressed by somebody. Now we voluntarily enter. We have a separate chair in, in, the, in the family of European Union kind of a community, and uh, Slovakia is equally respected. That was very important to us because we were always, as I said, belittled, always kind of uh, considered somebody less equal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and being there and, and enjoying the, the same status like France or Germany, at the time even England, before they, they Brexited. So, uh, and, and we accomplished. I was leading, actually, I was leading the, I was European rapporteur for, uh, for EU-Canada free trade. Mm-hmm. So the Canadians, they loved me, and I had a lot of great, wonderful experiences traveling to Ottawa, traveling to... Uh, I was in Quebec and Montreal, and uh, and at the end we accomplished that. And, and when you see the result, Rich, it feels good because you're talking about creating tens and tens of thousands of new jobs, uh, creating like 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 uh, getting rid of the uh, hassles of, of you know, f- uh, filling up all kind of uh, you know, bureaucratic documents and. You're making life easy for people. So there is a lot of, lot of concrete things that you can feel, but, but to me, it's mostly about freedom, safety, security, and, and you know, being in the family of, of the you know, feeling and, and being treated as equal and, and, and knowing that nobody will ever challenge your, your, your border integrity, which we always worry for centuries, and nobody will kind of challenge anything else because that's protected by every nation, but every treaty of European Union, that feels good that you feel that you know, Slovakia is in good hands for next, uh, hopefully, centuries. Yeah. God, what an amazing legacy <laughs> on both the ice and, uh, you know, and, and politically and everything else. Um, amazing. Well, uh, Peter, I, I have to tell you, this has been fantastic. Um, I, obviously, I've taken up quite a bit of your time, but hearing the story about, you know, growing up in Bratislava and, and the championships won, uh, both at the team and national level, you know, as a, you know, in your younger years, and then obviously the the crazy, uh, you know, kind of uh, journey to Canada, and uh, and and the stellar NHL career, and then everything you've done since then. Um, a real pleasure to bring you on to Chasing Hardware and, and hear your stories. Very very happy to oblige, Rich. Um, okay, Peter. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Thank you. Take care. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in, and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Tonight, it feels like life. Come on. Life is like you.